Today's scripture reading is from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, good morning again, everybody. So today we're talking about wisdom. And when you look at the Bible, the Bible views wisdom as extremely, very, very valuable, very, very precious. And uh, sometimes, I mean, we get this right, even here in the room, we, we're here this morning, but we all recognize that in certain areas of our life, we really, really need wisdom for something. That happens in these moments where you say, Man, I'm just not smart enough to get this right. I need uh, something better, you know? I mean, it could be a marriage issue. It could be an issue with one of your children. It could be something at work. It could be something you're trying to navigate with a friend. But I think all of us understand how powerful our need for wisdom can be. Now, when we talk about wisdom, we're talking about something that's different than just knowledge or information. Wisdom is practical. It knows how to do things. It knows how to get things done. And in fact, as James talks about wisdom today, here's what we're going to see. That the, the highest form of wisdom is a relational wisdom. So what we're going to see today is how uh, devastating earthly wisdom can be to relationships and how powerful he, uh, heavenly wisdom or true wisdom can be to relationships. So when, when James talks about relationships, he's talking about uh, uh, wisdom there, like in other words, how to build a relationship, how to keep a relationship, how to build others up, and so on and so forth. So wisdom is different than just having information. Great story that illustrates this. There are three people on an airplane. There's a pilot, there's a Boy Scout, and the smartest man in the world is actually on this, on this airplane. I mean, when it comes to IQ, nobody's even in the same league as this man. But mid-flight, the airplane has engine trouble, becomes clear it's going to crash. The problem is there are only two parachutes on the plane. 
So the world's smartest man grabs one of the parachutes, right? He says to the pilot and the Boy Scout, look, I'm the smartest man in the world. The world needs my intellect, so I've got to survive. So he jumps out of the plane with one of the chutes. The pilot turns to the Boy Scout then and says, listen, I've lived a long, full, good life. I've served God. I know Jesus. My heart is full. I know where I'm going when I die. You're young. You've got your whole life ahead of you. I want you to take the last chute, and I'll go down with the plane. And the Boy Scout says, relax, Captain. The world's smartest man just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. (laughs) See, listen, here's why that joke is so important, because that's the kind of world we live in. Really smart people jumping out of airplanes, holding on to a backpack, and they think they've got a parachute. That's why Jesus came. And as we unpack what James is teaching today, we're going to see him compare and contrast two kinds of wisdom. There's earthly wisdom or false wisdom, and then heavenly wisdom. And he's going to, we're going to look at that in the fruit of our relationships. So he begins with kind of a blanket statement. Look at verse 13. Who is, he asks a question and then he's going to answer the question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Now, two observations. First of all, he says, if you're wise, especially with heavenly wisdom, that's going to show up in a beautiful life. In fact, that word good life um, can also be translated beautiful or lovely. So he's saying, listen, it's possible for ordinary men and women to live a beautiful life, a lovely life, and wisdom brings that. Wisdom creates that, and that's why we sometimes recognize how important it is. But then the second thing I want us to note here is that humility and wisdom have a relationship with one another. Humility flows out of wisdom because you have to be humble enough to admit that you need wisdom, humble enough to ask God for wisdom. You have to be humble enough to recognize that in some situations in my life, I'm just not smart enough. I'm not complete enough. I'm not good enough, whatever, right? Um, And then look what he goes on to say in verses 14 and 15. He says, but if you harbor So he's going to characterize this earthly wisdom for us, right? This thing that pretends to be wise. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly. It's unspiritual. It's of the devil. Now, false witness or false wisdom is characterized by two things we see here, right? Bitter envy and selfish ambition. And they're two very similar words, and they're connected to one another. And the idea with selfish ambition is this life is for me, and life is about me. That's selfish ambition. Life is for me, and life is about me. So, 
if life is all about you, if the world is here for you and your pleasure, of course you're going to envy other people, right? I mean, that's going to be a constant thing in your life because you're always going to bump into people who have a better marriage than you or more possessions than you or more money than you or seem to be having a better time than you. And if life is all about you, you're going to find plenty of opportunity to be envious about other people. And false wisdom says things like this. Hey, just do what makes you happy. Like happiness is the goal of life. I mean, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow everybody's going to die and this world is all there is. False wisdom would say, look, there is no God, but even if there is, he certainly has no right to tell me what's right or wrong. I decide that. I'm the captain of my fate. I'm the master of my own destiny, right? And so James says it's marked by this selfish ambition, this uh, bitter envy. Um, And furthermore, if life is about you and God is there for you, you're going to boast, about that, right? In other words, I'm, I'm the master of my destiny. I'm the captain of my fate. God doesn't tell me what's right and wrong. I decide that for myself. You can see how that would just cause boasting. And then he even talks about lying and deceit. And so here's the idea here. Uh, if life is for me and life is all about me and everybody in the world exists for me or to, to make me happy, then I'm going to lie if it makes me look better. I'm going to lie if it makes me feel better about myself. I'm going to lie um, about, you know, my, uh, how smart I am or talented I am. Just on and on it goes. Because I will lie if it gets me out of trouble. I will lie if it makes me feel better, right? And he's saying people will be characterized by that where you find um, selfish ambition. And then look what he goes on. He just, he paints the picture of a spiral, things just spiraling down and out of control. Look what he says in verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. I mean, he's just pointing out how how bad this gets in the end. I mean, how, look, when it's every man for himself, it just gets worse and worse. In fact, the word that Jane, that's translated disorder here uh, comes from a root word, chaos. Like, like, like when, when it's every man for himself, when selfish ambition rules the day, it just, it's chaos. And this is an important word because in the scripture, God always brings order and Satan always brings chaos. So Satan is a counterfeiter of God, and instead, in place of the order that God puts into place, Satan just wants to bring chaos. Um, So, and in fact, chaos here is the opposite of wisdom, and of course, selfishness, he says, breeds every evil practice. There's just nothing evil won't do, because if it makes me happy, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to ask questions about right or wrong, etc. right? And then James uses three very insightful words to describe this kind of wisdom. First, he says it's earthly, 
earthly. In other words, it only thinks about the here and now. It doesn't think about tomorrow. It doesn't think about eternity. It doesn't think about the next life because there's no such thing, or at least nobody knows for sure, right? So, if, that, so if, that, if all that's here is the here and now, then that's what these folks are going to live for. So this creates a domino effect, right, on things like how you spend your money, the kind of relationships you're going to have, the kind of marriage you're going to have, your children, and on and on it goes. And I'll say this, in earthly wisdom, there is no room for things like suffering or loss uh, or difficulty. Because if the world is about me and revolves around me and is for me, then happiness is my highest goal, right? And so anytime I feel, um, you know, I'm suffering or hurting, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get out of that. So when difficulty comes, I'm just going to escape. I'm going to escape in the next party. I'm going to escape into the next pleasure. I'm going to escape into the next purchase. I may try to dull my reality through drugs or alcohol, right? But the idea is you try to escape. And so the reality is we make decisions not on tomorrow, not on what's going to come, not on the next life. But when we're living out of this kind of wisdom, we just ask, what's going to make me happy today? And we don't worry about the consequences of tomorrow or the next life. That's earthly wisdom. Now, the problem, obviously, with today, right, is it's just a blip on the radar of eternity. And so what we need to begin to ask ourselves, what heavenly wisdom would call us to do, is ask ourselves this question. Not simply, what will make me happy today, but what will make me happy tomorrow? What will make me happy in 50 years? What will make me happy in 100 years? What will make me happy in 1,000 years? And think through those questions as opposed to just, well, what will it take today? And then secondly, we're told not only is it earthly, but that it's unspiritual. Unspiritual. That means it, does, it ignores the power of the Holy Spirit. It's blind to that. It's blind to the cross of Jesus and what was accomplished there. Um, it ha- and, it has, and as a result, it desires a lot, but it has no power to see those desires through. It's weak. It talks a lot about things like willpower or positive thinking, but those things can't really sustain us and see us through. They're not substantive. Um, So he's saying, look, false wisdom just brings a loss of hope, a forfeiture of strength, and lots and lots of chaos, lots and lots of confusion. And then finally, he calls it demonic of the devil. Now, here's what that means. What is one of the ministries, if you will, that demons have in your life and mine? They lie to us. They lie to us. They lie to us about who God is. They lie to us about who we are uh, as a result of what Jesus has done. It's just lie after lie after lie after lie. And so that's one way. But then there's another way, and that's this. He's just saying, look, it's demonic in the sense that it eventually gets us to where the devil's agenda is being lived out. Because where there's selfish ambition... At the end of that, you're just going to find disorder and every evil practice. 
all the things that demons and Satan would promote. That's what happens when it's every man for himself. It just creates chaos. And then he begins to contrast this kind of wisdom, this earthly wisdom or this false wisdom, with true wisdom or wisdom from heaven. Here's what he says in verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Now I want you to notice first that this wisdom comes down from heaven. In other words, there's only one place you can get this kind of wisdom. It comes from heaven. It comes from God. In other words, true wisdom is driven by the knowledge that one day I will stand before a holy God and give an account of my life. Once again, it recognizes every day that there's more than just the here and now, right? And this is so important. This kind of wisdom finds its identity in what Christ has done for it or him or her. In fact, there's an amazing statement made by another disciple of Jesus, by a man by the name of Paul. I want you to look what he said about Jesus in the book of Colossians. He said, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, in order that they may know the mystery of God, and then he tells us very plainly what the mystery of God is. It's Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So listen, Paul says, wisdom isn't just a principle. Wisdom is a person. Jesus, wisdom isn't just an attribute that Jesus has. Jesus is wisdom. In fact, Jesus is the embodiment of wisdom. And then he's going to walk us through all these character qualities. And guess what? It's not a surprise. When you look at the life of Jesus, you see every one of the character qualities that uh, James is going to walk us through. And he tells us first that the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure. Now, sometimes we downplay this word in our culture, and so I want to elevate it for a minute. Pure means two things. It means uncorrupted, and it means authentic. So when a person possesses purity, he or she possesses two things. First, integrity. You know, I've said this is a relational wisdom, right? And I think all of us know firsthand, like if, like if we have an incident where we're not honest with someone, like the damage, you know, that that can do to a relationship. And, and again, the wisdom that comes from heaven is a relational wisdom. And then the second thing that someone who has wisdom, who is pure, will do is they will live their lives surrendered or submitted to God. They'll be pure in the way, in their conduct, in the, uh, in, in the things that they see, in the things that they watch, right? They will be people who will work very, very hard to remain unstained or uncorrupted or uncorruptible by the world. So what that means is they may have some standards that other people don't have for their lives. They may have some guardrails for their lives that other people simply don't have. 
And these guardrails or these standards will affect things like the kind of television shows or movies that they will watch or won't watch, the kind of music and lyrics that they will or will not listen to, the kind of presence they have online the kind of comments that they will or won't make, the type of websites that they will or won't visit. visit. Purity flows into all of that. It addresses all of that. And, and I think we get purity, especially when it comes to things like food and hygiene. Um, in fact, many of you may not know this, we have a whole department of the federal government that's actually uh, safeguards uh, standards and laws to, uh, to safeguard the purity of the foods that you and I eat. It's called the Food and Drug Administration. And so what I've done is I've actually taken a few uh, purity guidelines from their manual, and I'll just read them for you and see what you think when it comes to purity. So apple butter. Any apple butter lovers in the room? Sure, a few of us. So this comes right out of their, their uh, literature. If apple butter averages four or more rodent hairs per 100 grams, or if it averages five or more whole insects, not counting mites or aphids, the FDA will pull it off the shelf. Otherwise, it goes right on your bagel. Yum. Mushrooms. When you get 15 grams of mushrooms, they're okay unless they contain an average of 20 or more maggots of any size. Otherwise, that goes on the shelf. Anybody concerned about purity at this point? I think you are. Coffee beans. <laughs> all the, look, let's, all the caffeine addicts, right, are beginning to get a little nervous now. So coffee beans will be withdrawn from the market only if an average of 10% or more of them are insect infected. Otherwise, it goes right in your cup. Hot dogs. You know what? You don't even want to know. You don't. Think about hot. So that's purity. We get it when it comes to food. Think about hygiene for a moment, especially in a post-COVID world. We get it. If someone wants to reach out their hand to grab yours, right? Some of us are in the room and we're like, I want to ask questions. How long has it been since you washed your hands? How long has it been since you sanitized, right? If you meet someone and they have really bad breath, you're going to pull back. This is why some of us, right? If, if we're going to meet someone important or we're going on a first date, we're going to take a breath mint and we're going to smell our armpits. Well, maybe that's just a guy thing. I don't know. But we're going to do that, right? And that's all symbolic of the reaction that our God has to moral uncleanness. It's repulsive to him because he is a righteous and a holy God. And uh, and I think sometimes it's easy for us to forget that. And then secondly, James describes heavenly wisdom, true loving, not just as pure, but as peace loving. In other words, it doesn't look for a fight. 
It's not anxious for a fight. It avoids drama and controversy. It doesn't antagonize another person's anger. Instead of trying to stir people up, it works to calm them down. That's what peace-loving means. And then he also calls it considerate, the wisdom from heaven. Considerate. What that means is it's mindful of the feelings of other people. Wise people don't minimize the feelings of others. They don't discount the feelings of others. It is empathetic. It understands their needs. So in contrast to earthly wisdom, where, hey, life is all about me and my needs, earthly wisdom says, no, the people around me have needs too. And I need to be not just a consumer of needs, I need to be a meat meter of needs, right? It's considerate. It, it considers their viewpoint. Now, I remember when our children were little, Jackie was uh, privileged enough to be able to be a mostly stay-at-home uh, mom, and I worked here at the church full-time, and I would often come home in the evening, and we would begin to talk about our respective days, right? So I would say something like this, hey, you know, Jason and, Jason and I ate lunch out together today, and then she would respond with something like this, you mean you didn't have to spoon feed everybody else around the table while you were trying to eat? Wait, you mean you didn't have to fix the food, clean up the food, clean up the food on the clothes of all the kids that ate the food? You didn't have to do any of that. You just got to go out and have a nice lunch with your friend. Must be nice. And then that would inevitably lead to what I like to call a my day beats your day conversation. This probably doesn't happen in your house. It probably only happened in ours, but here's how it looks, right? Um, so, you know, the husband or wife, you know, if you both work outside the home, maybe you come home complaining, you say things like, man, traffic was awful, my boss is insane, my coworkers are certifiable, my work is miserable, it was an awful day. Uh, if you're fortunate enough to have a partner who can stay home with the kids, maybe your kids are little, you're going to say something like, well, the, the dog left liquids and solids everywhere. I was cleaning up after him all day. Jim Bob dunked the cat in the toilet. The kids couldn't get along. I played referee all day. If I have to, you know, I'm like, yeah, it's, it, it's just an awful day, right? And it kind of becomes a competition. Like, who had the worst day? Look, don't look at me like I'm an alien. I know that you do this too. Now, so listen, wisdom from heaven is considerate. It allows for both of us to be tired. It allows for both of us to have had a hard day. It empathizes with the hurts and needs of other people, not just our own. That's wisdom from heaven. And then we're told that it's submissive. Now, this is fascinating. This is the only time in the New Testament this Greek word is used. I don't think submissive is a good translation, and I'll tell you why. There were two, maybe three other words James could have used that were very common that meant submit. I think what this word, a better translation of this word might be the wisdom from heaven is open to reason. It's open to discussion. 
It's not convinced that its way is the right way or the only way. It's willing to listen to other people. It is approachable. It allows for discussion. It doesn't just shut people down. Now, another story to illustrate this, and to be honest, it hits a little too close to home. So there's a new pastor. He preaches for the first time at his new church. And someone walks over to him after the service and literally say to him, Pastor, that sermon stunk. It was terrible. Well, the pastor is trying to maintain. I mean, it's hurtful, but he wants to have wisdom from heaven, right? So he says, well, what didn't you like about it? And the guy says, well, I can tell you three things I didn't like about it. And the pastor says, well, I, I would, I'm open to constructive criticism. And so the guy says, well, first, you read it, and that was a problem. Secondly, you read it poorly, that was a problem. And thirdly, it wasn't worth reading in the first place. So this pastor is just devastated, right? He's demoralized. But somebody else in the congregation sees the pastor. They kind of recognize, wow, he was just talking to Jim. Jim's pretty negative. So I'm going to go over and I'm going to encourage him, right? And so, um, so the, he walks, this guy walks up to the pastor and he says, listen, pastor, don't worry about Jim. He is so negative. And really, he just repeats what he hears most other people say which made pastor feel way better, right, at that moment, right? So James says that w wisdom from heaven, even when it's painful, it's willing to learn from anybody. You know, it says, I, what, wisdom from heaven says, I can learn something from anybody, anybody. And then finally, we're told that you recognize wisdom from heaven because it's full of mercy and good fruit. Here's what that means. It doesn't emphasize the mistakes of others. It doesn't rub their nose in it, right? When someone stumbles, it means we want to pick them up, not simply kick them while they are down. It means that we give them what they need and not necessarily what they deserve, or at least what we think they deserve. And then good fruit is simply this. It's kindness in action, good, good words, good deeds expressed to other people. So it's a thoughtful note, an encouraging word, a helpful prayer, a kind deed. And then James concludes by saying, look, heavenly wisdom, it's impartial and it's sincere. Now, both of these words actually have the same root. It means that you are straightforward. You're authentic. In fact, the word uh, hypocrite was used of an actor on a stage, and in that day, actors would wear masks. And so it's somebody that doesn't wear a mask. It's somebody that's um, authentic and real. They're not hiding behind something else. And then James wraps up this discussion about heavenly wisdom this way. Look at verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And this line makes all the difference. If they don't give up. Now, why would he say that, right? Why would he say if they don't give up? Well, let me tell you why. Because peacemaking is hard. Peacemaking is awkward. Peacemaking is uncomfortable. 
because peacemakers have to wade in to situations where there's strife and drama and anxiety. So peacemakers don't say things like, well, you know, that's none of my business, right? Because they want to, they want to bring peace. They want to, re, they want to resolve a relationship. It's not just that they're uncomfortable with strife. Oh, I hate the strife. I hate that. No, they want to renew and restore the relationships. Peacemakers make the relationship the primary thing, front and center. And it's just hard work. And listen, over the years, this verse has been so encouraging to me as a pastor Because anytime I want to wade into a contentious situation or a situation that's just filled with all this drama, I claim this promise as mine. And I just say, okay, God, help me to be a peacemaker. And and God, I want a harvest of righteousness, but don't let me give up. Because sometimes it's just easier to avoid the drama, right, than it is to wade in. But just be clear about one more thing pastors aren't the only ones called to be peacemakers. So are you. In your family, in your school, in your business, in your home, you are called to be a peacemaker because Jesus made peace with God for you and Jesus makes peace possible with others for you. And so if we want to be like him, that's what we do. Um, so if wi- the wisdom from heaven is that valuable, that amazing, that incredible, that beneficial to relationships, what that means is we should all want it, right? So just in the next two or three minutes that we have, I'm just going to walk you through six quick things. We're not going to dwell on any of these too long. Six things you can do to get wisdom from heaven, the wisdom that comes down. Number one, I already said this, you get it through a relationship with Jesus, because Jesus isn't, doesn't just have wisdom, he embodies it, he is wisdom. Wisdom is a person, not just a principle. Then secondly, and this one's hard, James said it though in James 1, that sometimes suffering and hardship, hard things bring wisdom into our lives. And we have to be willing to to remain under that. We have to be willing to be taught by that. So in other words, if something hard blows into my life because of my lack of wisdom, people say, well, I don't like feeling this way. I don't like the way I feel. Well, then that's a call to change, right? That's a call to get wisdom so that doesn't happen to you the next time. So hardship and suffering, community, this one's so important, community with other people. Look what Proverbs eleven fourteen says. For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but many advisors make victory sure. And then look at this one, Proverbs 27. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now listen, just a, a word about this. You know what iron sharpening iron is? It's friction. See, a lot of people, I think, have a terrible view of what they think Christian community is. They think Christian community is just this little circle of friends where everybody gets along and a harsh word is never spoken, where people don't disagree with one another or yell at each other or let each other down. And that's simply not true. Christians are forgiven people. It's true that every one of us who's a follower of Jesus is forgiven, but that doesn't make us perfect. None of us. 
And so part of what Christian community is, is the friction of those relationships. I tell people all the time, the worst thing that could happen to you is be in a group with 8, 10, 12 other people where you all think the same, you all talk the same, and, and it's all just good because we all think exactly alike. No, you need people in a group that are going to cause friction. So you grow up into the kind of man or woman uh, in Christ that you're meant to be. So community. And then fourthly, we just get wisdom through God's word. Peter tells us, right, that the scriptures have the ability to make us wise, to make us wise. So this is why we say, be in God's word every day. Wisdom is one of the prizes that you and I yield when we do that. And then fifthly, we get wisdom through service. Uh, Ephesians 4 actually says this amazing thing. It says that God gave some to be pastors and teachers um, uh, and, and prophets and apostles for the building up of God's people so that they do the works of service, not the pastors. The people are serving. And then it says, as a result of their serving, they will become mature. Do you know what mature is? That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Maturity serving other people. In other words, you, you are in the worldview that says, no, I am on earth to serve other people, not for other people to serve me. This is the main issue in these two forms of wisdom right there. This is the crux of the matter. And then finally, James says, you get wisdom by asking for it, by asking for it. And so here's what I want to do. I want to ask you two questions, and I'm going to pray for you, and we're done. What do you need wisdom for today? What do you need wisdom for? Maybe it's your marriage. You know? Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's something going on at school. Maybe it's something going on at work. I don't know, but I want you to get that front and center in your mind. And then secondly, which kind of wisdom have you been using what have you been leaning into the most in your life? Is it earthly wisdom or is it heavenly wisdom? Because they are polar opposites. Well, so let me just pray for all of us that we would begin to lean into heavenly wisdom and that God would give us wisdom. Let's, let's talk to our Heavenly Father for just a minute. Papa, I just lift up these men and women. I don't know what is facing them. I don't know what they may need, need wisdom for, but God, you do. And so we just thank you together for the promise of your word that says this, if any of us lacks wisdom, we can come to you and ask, and you'll never let us down. You'll always pour out that wisdom generously into our hearts. And so, God, would you do that for these men and women today? Whatever they're most worried about, whatever they're most concerned about, give them wisdom. God, you promised it. And so we claim that promise together today. And we do that in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you guys for worshiping with us today. God bless you.